Welcome to Fresh Takes on the Future of Work. We are focused on fresh perspectives from business and HR leaders about the future of work. FRESH is an acronym for freedom, resourcefulness, empathy, simplicity, and happiness. Values core to operating in the future of work. We'll tie back to these while exploring interesting stories and actionable ideas. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jess Pagoni. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Luna, a technology for the modern employer, redefining team connection and productivity through systemized web-based personal operating manuals combined with AI dashboards for teams and companies. Our guest today is Tobin Trevarthen, who happens to go by Toby. Toby is the CEO and founder of Spatial Shift, a strategic narrative design consultancy, and CEO and co-founder of the Narrative Playbook, a narrative design lab. Toby is a modern elder and curious polymath that brings over 30 years of executive management knowledge to his pioneering narrative work. His background represents a consistent thread of revenue creation, solving for complexity, and designing for new categories, all of which spans Fortune 100, scale-ups, startups, and nonprofits. Toby is the co-author of Narrative Generation, a groundbreaking book focusing on the significance of narrative in a world besieged by noise and transformation. Wow, Toby, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me today. Before we dive into the show, I would love if you could share with us a little bit more about you and your work. So many really incredible, interesting things in that bio. So unpack that for us. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, I've been around for a while and I grew up primarily in the media world, traditional media world with Gannett, Meredith, Time Inc., all the magazines that you grew up with and love to read. And then ultimately, when the idea of the internet was born, we used to call it the information super highway back then, I helped launch Pathfinder, which was one of the original portals pre-Yahoo. And AOL was just being born at that time. And so I always had this road less traveled kind of existence in these corporate worlds, in these corporate media companies, because my work represented the whole of Meredith, the whole of Time Warner, the whole of Time Inc., the whole of AOL. So when I would work with these global 100 companies, they would basically say, okay, Toby, I'm Toyota, I'm launching a Camry, here's $20 million, can you dream up a program for us? And then I would go back inside 200 different entities within Time Warner and come up with a solution. So ultimately, I was kind of horizontal in you know what would be vertically run companies, and stitching together things that didn't exist before. And that kind of just became my path. I'm so curious, Toby, how did you get into that role in the first place? Well, I started out as a typical sales guy representing a brand like at Gannett. I started out at USA Weekend, which was a sister to USA Today, just around the same time that it launched. And then the world kind of shifted somewhere in the late 80s where media companies were starting to figure out integrated marketing solutions, stitching together all the assets in the company. And this concept 
literally was born somewhere around 91, I want to say. So there was kind of a SWAT team that got put together and I was part of that. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was working with CPG companies in the Midwest at the time. And that got us deep into promotions. The notion of omni-channel was kind of a new buzzword at the time. And it wasn't so much buying an ad on a page or buying a dot or a spot or something along that line. So ultimately, it became kind of an innovation to just stitch together the assets in a way that could tell a cogent story of some kind. So those were kind of the roots. So narrative and storytelling has been with you really since the beginning of your career. Yeah. When I look back, only in retrospect, do I realize that, yes, <laughs> it all kind of started way back in the early 90s. How cool. So Spatial Shift, an, a strategic narrative design consultancy. Tell us about what you do there. Sure. So that all kind of evolved multiple ways. It, it started out being more of a revenue and business development type of firm because I pretty much grew up creating revenue most of my career inside companies. So I was always very cognizant of what it took to make revenue happen. And then somewhere along the line, I got hired by a PR firm to help them figure out earned media. It was getting blown up by social media. And what was earned media? What was a journalist? What was an analyst? All these things were starting to get unraveled. And we stumbled onto the idea of narrative. And John Hagel, I have to give a tip of a hat to him. He had kind of pioneered that concept way back in like 2011 and always had proselytized that, you know, as a strategic theoretical type of an approach. And we wanted to see if we could take that and turn it into practice. So ultimately, we started down that path. I happened to be working with another group called Factory, which was kind of based on Google X's rapid product prototyping. So we would solve for super intense problems at, with a global 100 company in 48 hours. So it was this massive immersive thing that I had never experienced before. And it had a little bit of what I would call singularity university elements to it. Thinking about exponential growth versus linear growth, I had never heard that before either. So it was one of those moments where it was a collision of multiple things and it was like, wow, I don't even think like this. So that kind of caused some consternation and having to rethink. And then ultimately, those nuggets kind of led to this idea of something called agile narrative, which literally was helping organizations to figure out how to better talk about themselves in a rapid product prototyping type of an approach. So literally, we invented a how can a company tell its story, show up in a way that is, do you actually do what you say you do? Show me how, prove it to me, because the worst thing you can do is get out in front of your skis and not literally be able to deliver on that. So there was all these pieces that kind of fell into place. And here we are now, like 45, 50 companies like. Wow. And the narrative playbook, so it seems like very connected to your spatial shift organization, but talk to us a little bit about this narrative design lab. Sure. That kind of came by happenstance. I had an individual reach out to me just before COVID happened. So January, February of 2020, she was a brilliant PhD in energy economics. You know, she had done policy level work 
for energy in the developing world, which was based out of London. And I do still think she's going to win a Nobel Prize one day because she's at that level. And she reached out and said, I had to come home, care for an aging parent. And then my mom went down. And then all of a sudden, it was seven years later. So, you know, she kind of got stuck in that sandwich generation challenge that we all face. And she wanted to get back to what she was doing. So I thought, well, yeah, I can do this. So I just took all the work that I've done on the corporate side and I applied it to the person. And lo and behold, it worked. And along the path, we discovered that the way she did her work kind of led to the notion of she was like the Jane Goodall of energy. And then it all just fell into place. And she's like, oh my God, she's my mentor, you know? And it was just like, boom, yes, this works. (laughs) And then COVID hit. And then I had to reinvent how we did this from what was physical, interactive to living on Zoom like everyone else. And then we tested it with groups. We tested it with individuals and executives. And then boom, here we are, you know, 40 people later. And that kind of led me into the future of work to some extent. So a lot of my corporate accounts became future of work-like accounts. And at the end of the day, companies are made up with people. And we're all trying to figure out how the people meet the company is going to work going forward. So I kind of feel like I'm in this cool pool and there's all these swim lanes and I'm literally removing the barriers of the swim lanes, trying to figure out how to make this all work. Incredible. Well, I think, Toby, we can shift now to the future of work questions at hand. Are you ready to dive in? Yes, let's go. Okay, it is time to get fresh. Toby, how do you define the future of work? I define it as an evolutionary state of existence in a connected world. So I think what we used to consider as work in the structure of how we worked, to me, is now very fluid. And I'd love to borrow from uh, Rashid Tabakawala. He has a, an excellent newsletter called The Future Does Not Live in the Containers of the Past. And I feel like we are at that crossroads. Amazing. And Rashad is a past guest on the show as well. So thank you for highlighting him. I agree. His newsletter is fascinating. Okay. So Toby, if I could give you a magic wand right now, what's one thing that you personally would want to see change about work and life? I think we need a new kind of social contract. I could see the emergence of a reformation of the social contract. I don't know if we go all the way back to the Magna Carta level of contract or compact, whatever term you want to use, but I was moved by a speech that Charles Handy gave at the Drucker Forum. I think it was in late 2017. He was the endnote. And he basically asked the audience about the notion of, you know, Luther was one person who stuck 95 complaints on the door of the church. And that sparked basically what became the Renaissance. And he alluded to the fact that we're there again. And we need to rethink work, the business of work. And I subscribe to that. Yeah, I do too, for the record. So as far as fresh takes go, freedom, resourcefulness, empathy, simplicity, and happiness, which of these areas do you see as the most pressing right now 
as we think about the future of work, the evolving employer-employee dynamic, or this renaissance, if you will? I think the word that, you know, I love all those words, by the way. And I love fresh take because I think, obviously, that's what we're talking about. But to me, the word freedom is the one that really pops out. And I think that's because I'm fresh off of working with Robin, who is the hybrid workplace company, and I think they're doing really cool stuff. I think it's freedom because, to me, that's a core virtue, and it's based on implied trust, and it kind of lives in the implicit zone. And one of the interesting things about when you work on different industries is how you can bring those thinkings over to different industries. And I remember working with a company called Tapjoy, who was basically a MarTech company that gamified certain things, or they did explicit rewards inside games. So I really dove into the psychology of implicit versus explicit. And I think a lot of our work incentives tend to, or have tended to fall in a very explicit zone with carrots and sticks and rewards. And I think we're kind of moving back into implicit. Because like I play this game implicitly because I enjoy it, but I explicitly get rewarded to get more power, more shields, whatever, right? But it comes back to being implicitly involved in that game. I think that's why Roblox and Minecraft and all those games are doing so well because kids are really honed into those. And I think work follows in, in similar suit. So to me, that's kind of where the freedom steps in because it's an implied trust. I haven't heard what you just shared articulated in quite that way before, but it encapsulates a lot of, I believe, what I talk about regularly with customers and colleagues and people focused on the future of work because you know the tendency is for companies to say, okay, well, what's the next thing? we're going to give or put in place. But we're seeing this. We're seeing that employees are like, thanks for the perks. Like, I just want to go home. Or I want permission to disconnect for a couple hours. Or I'd love compressed work week to spend more time with my family or have, you know, that one day to do household stuff. So it is, it's more of this lifestyle versus the more stuff kind of thing. And there was this era of ping pong tables and happy hours and all the quote unquote perks of work and office that have basically overnight transformed into people reflecting on what do I actually want to be doing with my time? And how can I achieve that? And so what's the freedom that I have to be able to do that? Yeah. And I think I fundamentally believe in, you know, BC and AC, like before COVID, after COVID. And I think the pivotal piece of that is we cannot unsee what we've seen, you know, as an individual. And now even if you look at the productivity stats that are out there, it worked. So, okay, why are we going back? Right. Why are we going back? Or if we could be empathetic through that really difficult and challenging timeframe, why can't we always be empathetic? That People have different circumstances, different priorities, different things happening. Let's shift to focus on outcomes and not focus on hours at work. But the implicit nature of freedom versus the explicit, which is where we once lived, is, again, just so well articulated. So thank you for sharing that. 
Yeah. And in narrative design in gaming, there are some good clues there because that industry has done a masterful job at blending and melding explicit and implicit into the gaming narratives. Super cool. So, Toby, you work with individuals, you work with organizations, and some pretty large organizations at that. What advice do you have for managers, anyone who's leading a team these days, to navigate in this new future of work? You know, that's a very good question. I grew up in Global 100 companies, and then I've been parts of startups, six startups. So I kind of seen both behaviors. And I think now, as you know, subscribe to this notion of being a modern elder, if I'm a mentor giving advice, I would suggest that managers and or leaders need to start with themselves. Because if you know who you are and you can express that to your team, in fact, there's a kind of a trend I've noticed that just happened literally in the last 72 hours. And it may be out there, but it just is a trend to me, right? A friend of mine created a company called Workforce, which is kind of a media company based on working remote. He literally bought an Airstream and he traveled and did remote. So he was an experiment. And he created a user manual for himself. How to work with me. Here's my user manual. And so then he had everyone on his team create their user manuals. And basically, you kind of found out each other's idiosyncrasies. And it's like, oh. That's why she never responds to my voicemails because she doesn't listen to them, right? And then she says, I don't listen to voicemails, so text me if it's important and I'll go listen to it, right? So it was purely like a disconnect on how people operate, right? And then I had another friend send me this thing on LinkedIn and it was the same thing called something different. And then I had another friend send that and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to incorporate this into the narrative playbook. Because if each of us has our own user manual and we extend it to our team, nothing bad can come from that, right? I mean, like, it's how do we best work and communicate with each other? Well, Toby, it sounds to me like you're selling Luna right now. So at the top of this call, I shared that we're all about these personal operating manuals combined with AI dashboards. And that was new language on this very episode, because where our product has evolved to is the need for these personal user manuals or operating manuals. But what we found in the trend that's out there is oftentimes they're built in a PowerPoint template or in a Word doc or in a Notion page, but the data on the back end isn't stitched together in any way. And our technology does that. We already were asking these personal user manual questions. So I think it is a trend and we are getting requests, but it is a little bit of repositioning in terms of Luna's narrative. It's repositioning to call it really what it's become in the eyes of our customers. And it's critical for the ways that people not only understand how they work with one another, but actually form connection, meaningful connection in this distributed working world. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny when I go back to the earliest stages of the creation of the narrative playbook, I go all the way back to 2007 when I left AOL. That was like my first leave corporate Americaism. And I invented my resume as a visual resume on an 11 by 17. It was completely spatial, hence spatial shift was born then. And 
it had nothing to do with chronological, which is my mission at that point was to blow up the resume. I don't think they do the justice to people. And so when I would hand this document out, people didn't know what to do with it. And I mean, they were perplexed, but it was also cool because then it allowed me to control the narrative, right? Because like I invented it. So the objective was it didn't matter where it began or ended. You just picked a thing on the piece of visual on the document and said, tell me about that. And then boom, I'd go into a story, right? So, and now that I'm saying this, it's like yet another time of narrative in my life. And I really didn't put those together. So as I was beginning to think about the narrative playbook, I would say probably around 2018, 19, 17, somewhere in there, I thought it would be cool for each of us to create our own credo or our own manifesto. And then I wanted people to create their own soundtrack. So I gave an artist friend of mine 50 of my favorite songs and said, create a soundtrack for me. So he did. He's created two soundtracks. And then I started thinking, well, instead of a credo or a manifesto, which is more corporate oriented, what if we just converted that to lyrics? Because an individual would grok lyrics better than a credo or a manifesto. So it would be really cool to create your own soundtrack and then layer in lyrics. And then you basically have your own song, if you will. And then could we turn that into a video? Could we turn that into a moth speech? So each person would have a personalized story that was multidimensional. And I got way out in front of my skis on that one. So I kind of parked that concept, but I want to bring it back because I think there's artists in all of us and we do have our favorite songs. The ones that come on the radio and you stop everything you're doing and you start singing that song. I mean, it just redirects you. And I think that's important, something that I'd love to bring back. Well, perhaps we can collaborate on that one because I love what you're saying. I think it's so fun. And you're right. There's this way to bring each of our narratives to life. And in your advice to managers, create a user manual. I could not agree more. I challenge you to use Luna's technology to do it. But I actually think it's valuable for every employee. Our own interns have created them. And they're like, this was really great self-reflection for me to do. It's almost like going back when I took journalism and they make you write your obituary. I mean, talk about the ultimate visualization. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. So one final question for you today. I don't want this to end, by the way. I feel like we could talk for hours, but I do have one final question for you. And that is what's one company you admire for their fresh take? God, only one? Only one. Well, I had one in mind, but I'm going to bring up another one. There's a company out of Vancouver named Skyhive, skyhive.io. I met them in their very early days via a singularity event, and I've been watching them grow and they've exploded. And effectively, they're using quantum computing to figure out skills and job descriptions. So they've pulled all this information together across the globe based on job descriptions, based on skills necessary to be, let's say, a chief product officer, and then taking a look at where you are and what skills you possess, the gaps that you, the chasms, if you will, between who you are today and what it will take to get to be this chief product officer. And I was blown away by their product. And, you know, I asked them a zillion questions and they came back with answers for all my questions. It was like, holy shit. 
And you're, where are you? And they weren't even an A stage at that time. And I've watched them now really just mushroom. And the notion of upskilling, reskilling, and all the skill-based things that are coming out, I think they're a forefront company that's doing some very interesting stuff. I can't wait to check them out. Anyone who's doing quantum anything, I'm sort of like, wait, what? How are you doing this? But I love it. And especially in this age of upskilling and reskilling and just how rapidly jobs are transforming. Some of the stats out there say 50% of the jobs, I think this is the right stat. I hope I'm quoting it right. But 50% of the jobs in 2030 haven't even been invented yet. Yeah. And I have 28-year-old twins who are out in the workforce now. And I think I've iterated that several times to them that these paths you're on, you're going to end up in a place that doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Which is so cool. So cool. All right. Well, Toby, thank you so much for being here. It's always a pleasure to connect with you. We had the pleasure of first meeting at the HR Transform Conference in March of this year. So it is July as we sit here today. The first live conference for me post-COVID. I know. (laughs) And we met at a happy hour. It could not have been more fun. So we hit it off instantly. And it's been a pleasure to chat with you periodically since that time. And and certainly uh, incredible to have you on the show with us today. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you. And to your point, yeah, I could keep going on this for a long time. I love this topic. So fun. Can you share with our listeners, Toby, what the best way to reach you is if they want to reach out and connect? Sure. Probably LinkedIn is the best way to find me. And then given I kind of have two different companies going at the same time, which I'm not trying to be Elon Musk (laughs) because he's one too many. And he's what, on five or six now, but Websites are www.spatialshift.com and spatial is with a T, not a C. And then thenarrativeplaybook.com is the individual site. Wonderful. We'll put all of that information in the show notes as well. Thank you everyone for listening in and don't forget to stay fresh.